You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, good morning. How is everybody this day with no power and some with power? My wife and I were planning on having a date night the night the storm came. And uh, we ended up having a candle-lit dinner. I didn't get to cook anything for her. I was, I was hoping to. Uh, so I walked over to the general store who had a generator, and we were able to purchase turkey sandwiches and, and a bag of chips. We, and we had a uh, wonderful time doing that. Then our basement decided to flood, so... Uh, we, uh, we took five-gallon buckets, and we spent our date night hauling out water, and it was wonderful. I, 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 it was just a great time to be with my wife. We laughed. We enjoyed one another's company, and uh, we enjoyed our date. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12, and this is the story of the death of John the Baptist, Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12. And it says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people." Because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oath, And his guest, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you today, Would you prepare our hearts to see clearly what your word says and to hear it clearly, Lord? And then would we, uh, by your Holy Spirit, apply this to our lives? That we don't just leave here seeing this, this gruesome story of the sinfulness. Of, of man on full display that we don't just 
leave and, and, and wonder, what, why would you put this here, Lord? But that we would leave and that we would uh, see this story and, and use it to examine our own hearts. That we might uh, be transformed, that we might also not find ourselves in sinfulness. Lord, I pray if there's any sinfulness in us, help us to turn Help us to see clearly what your word has. In Jesus' name, amen. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is the subject in almost every passage. He's either the one speaking or he is the one spoken about. But in this text, what we find is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the focus shifts from Jesus to the history of John the Baptist's death, and to Herod the Tetrarch. And this should cause us to ask, why would the Holy Spirit inspire Matthew to record this story of John's tragic death by Herod? And to understand that and to answer that question, we, we need to understand the basic structure of Matthew's gospel. The Gospel of Matthew is, is organized in a, by alternating patterns. It's a, a sort of back and forth between discourse and narrative. And there are five major discourses. And the story we're reading this morning follows the third discourse, which is the preaching of the parables. And the preaching of the parables uh, was the purpose of them was Jesus was teaching what the kingdom of heaven is about, what it is like. And the first parable found in chapter 13 is the parable of the sower. And you can look from verses 1, 13, 1 through 53, and you find these different parables and the parable of the sower is giving us examples of different heart condition or different soils. And it's teaching us something very important about our own hearts. When we get to verses 53 or verses 54 through verse 16 or chapter 16, verse 20, we see this shift of what Matthew is doing is he is showing us these different heart conditions lived out now. He's given us examples. So, for example, in verses 53 through 58 of chapter 13, we see Nazareth. And they hear Jesus' words, they see his works, and they reject him as Lord. They are the first soil. They are the hard heart. Now, if you look over in chapter 14, verses 13, we see the feeding of the 5,000. And they are a picture of the second soil or the superficial heart. They will follow Jesus as long as he gives them something. Skip over to Matthew 16 at the, the close, the climax of this. We see Peter's confession and he is the picture of this fourth soil, the, the fruitful heart. As he says, when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. 
And there's various other responses in between this section. And this leads us to the central truth this morning. What we believe about Jesus is revealed by how we respond to Him and His Word. Our theology, what we believe about Jesus, always leads to our methodology, our actions, and it always reveals our hearts. And there are ultimately only two heart responses. One we can see by in John 7.38 is, as Jesus says, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The other we see in Matthew 15.19 where, where Jesus says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This morning's sermon is titled, Out of the Heart. And we're going to look at four hearts. John the Baptist, Herod, Herodias, and Salome. And out of one, out of John's, we're going to see these rivers of life flowing out, of, flowing out through his death. And we're going to see out of the remaining three hearts, waves of death lived out in their lives. So the first one I want us to consider this morning is John. And if you're uh, keeping notes on your bulletins, it is the sacrificial end of a righteous life. The sacrificial end of a righteous life. In our culture, we have been conditioned to think that the good guy always wins. We love stories of underdogs and rising above their means to accomplish something bigger than them by worldly standards. But when we read our Bibles, we see most often the good guy doesn't always win. As he seeks to follow God and and obey His Word, we see most often that he is persecuted. He's rejected. And, and this is what we see here in the story of John the Baptist. He's a righteous man. He's a prophet filled with the Holy Spirit. He had a powerful ministry and the Lord used him mightily. Everything seemed to be going well. Then suddenly, an act of vengeance His life and ministry comes to an end. And and there's many things that we can learn from John's life and his death. But this morning, I just want us to focus on two. First, or 1A on your outline, we see a heart ruled by the fear of God. John is thrown into prison for saying that Herod and Herodias' relationship is wrong and that they were in sin. And we should commend John for his courage to to call out and and name specific sins, right? But but think about it. Some some might have asked during this time, John, your ministry's going so well. Why call out Herod and Herodias' sin? 
You can't change their heart anyway, John. Why, why would you call out this specific sin with this specific people and these specific people? And the answer is because he feared God more than he feared man. And he loved his enemy. He loved Herod and Herodias enough to say, your sin is evil and it's keeping you separated from God. And so he pleaded, it's, it's unlawful for you to have this relationship. And, and verse 4 suggests that this was a, a continual pleading with them. This leads to the second thing we learn of John. He is repeatedly standing on biblical convictions. John was unlike the prophets in Ezekiel chapter 13 who misled God's people by, by preaching from their own hearts the message of peace where there is no peace, only to experience divine judgment. John's convictions weren't, weren't based on his feelings, but rather they were grounded in the Word of God. And Herod was living in an adulterous relationship. He had stolen Herodias from his brother Philip. And so John probably had in mind Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. Leviticus 18.16 says, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. And Leviticus 20, 21 says, If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. And so as John grounded his convictions in the word of God, Herodias becomes angered at him, and, and Herod ends up putting John in prison, where eventually he'll be put to death. You know, brothers and sisters, we're, we're not called to be prophets the same way that John was. But we are called to follow John's example of calling out or of, or of first constantly speaking the truth in love, which includes boldly rebuking sin. In our day, Many claim that to truly love someone means you have to approve or even celebrate their lifestyle. And that just simply is not what the Bible teaches. It's not loving to allow someone to remain in their sin and to remain under the wrath of God. That's not loving to anyone Listen to the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians 5.11 when he says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And understand, as our culture grows more and more pagan day by day, we are called to stand firm on the Word of God and call out specific sin. We are to expose sin by shining the light of the gospel on it. We must do this in love. We must do this in a, there's a proper way in which we are to do this, but we must do this. And realize as we do, it will be costly. 
we will be rejected. We will be persecuted. This is what happened to the, to the prophets of the Old Testament. This is what happens to John. We, we see this is what happened to Jesus. This is what happens to his apostles. And we need to be reminded of Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all. How, how many is that? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But although it will be costly for us to speak the truth in love, we need to remember we're not seeking a, a reward in this world. As again, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and, and he says, for this light and momentary affliction. Now think about that statement just for a second. Paul has, is, is whipped, he's beaten, he's stoned. He, I mean, he is persecuted heavily. And he says, this light, momentary affliction. And he goes on to say that this affliction is preparing us for a, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Compared to eternity, whatever we're going to face, and brothers and sisters, we are going to face stuff. Whatever we face will be light. And so church, as we look at the sacrificial end of the righteous life of John, I, I pray that we are reminded of his boldness and his courage and his patience in suffering as he called out Sin. So first we see John the Baptist, sacrificial end of a righteous life. And then second on your outline, let's look at Herod, the destructive power of a weak will. There's several Herods located in the Bible. And, and so sometimes it, it can be confusing on which Herod it is talking about. And we need to know that, that Herod is just simply a, a, a family name of a ruling dynasty in Israel. The Herods, they were, they were partly Jewish, uh, partly Edomite. They were, they were from the line of Esau, and they were very rich, very proud. They were a very violent uh, ruling family. And and in Matthew 2, we're, we're introduced to Herod the Great. He, he's the one who ordered the slaughter of the male children under two in Jerusalem. And, and Bethlehem, I mean, when Jesus was born. And, and shortly after he, he ordered that slaughter, he dies. And his kingdom is given to his three of his sons, Archelaus, Antipas, and Philip II. In this passage, we're, we're, we're looking at Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch. He ruled Galilee and Perea, which is the areas in which Jesus did most of his ministry. And, and so as Herod hears about Jesus' fame beginning to spread in his kingdom, he begins to fear that it's John the Baptist, whom he had recently beheaded. 
And this, this is just reveals something about Herod's heart. First, it reveals that, that he has a false understanding of who Jesus is. But, but secondly, it shows in 2A on your outline that he has a, a heart ruled by the fear of man. Every action Herod makes is out of the fear of man. Just kind of skim over this passage with me again. Verse 3, he fears Herodias, so he threw John in prison. Verse 5, he wanted to kill John, but he didn't out of the fear of people. Mark's account of this gospel in chapter 6, verse 20, says he even feared John. But back to 14, chapter 14, verse 9, he, he feared the people more, so he ends up killing John. He, he's going back and forth. He, he just fears everyone except God. And we see the destruction this causes. In, in both his, his family and, and we see the destruction this causes in his kingdom, in his family, the discord that, that he sows among his brother as he steals his wife, who, by the way, is also his niece. There's a lot of sickness here that I can't get into details about. But he steals his brother's wife slash niece. And history tells us that, that he, he had to divorce his first wife and the dad of that lady got so mad he came in and he killed many people in Herod's kingdom. But, but his sin didn't stop there. He, he enjoys the, the uh, seductive dance of his stepdaughter. He orders for the head of John. Herod is a sick man. Warren Wearsby says that Herod was a heathen in practice and a monster in character. He has no self-control. He has a weak will. And as we look around the culture, do we not see the destructive power of a weak will in all three spheres of authority God has given? In the home, the church, in the government, in the home, we see, we see, we're seeing the fruit of sin as this generation is called the fatherless generation. And mental illness in our nation is on a rise and it's skyrocketing and this coincides with the immorality that we see in the home. In the church, we see weak-willed pastors who preach a, a watered-down gospel that just produces nominalism, which is a, a Christian in name only, but not in practice. And so what we're seeing is, is wolves filling the pews and, and destroying or trying to destroy the true sheep. And we see this in churches all over our country. In our government, we see weak-willed leaders on both sides of the aisle, by the way, who care more about what their polls say than what, about God, than what God says. Brothers and sisters, the destructive power of a weak will is rooted in the fear of man, and we need people in our lives we need people who, who love us enough to call out our sin, to warn us. This is what John did for Herod. He said, Herod, please, I beg you, repent. 
I urge you, this is not lawful. But Herod rejected John's warning. And this is because, be on your outline, Herod was repeatedly ignoring his conscience. Mark 20 says, uh, we see that Herod would visit John in prison. He, it even says he enjoyed the preaching of John. So we have this picture of, of Herod. He, he, he's, some, he's somewhat gripped by truth of John's preaching. He, he even enjoys it. But it doesn't lead to repentance. And yet it, it just ends in him acting against his conscience. Look at verse 9. After he... Uh, or right before he beheads John, he, he feels really sorry about the oath he had made. Do you see the conscience in play here? He feels really bad about it, but he still does it anyway. See, he's, a, he's an illustration of the third soil of the parable of the sower where, where the seed is, is sown among Thorns and, and the cares of this world crowd out the good seed of the gospel. And as he ignores John's cry for repentance, his heart is hardened, his will is weakened, and before long, he has to sin more and more and more. This is what our sin does in our lives. It leads to more sin and it destroys all of our relationships I think there's something critical for us here in Herod you know he sadly represents the person who sees religion as a as a hobby or a diversion you know sometimes we we hear gruesome stories like this where we just see someone's sinfulness on display and, and, and we're tempted to to compare ourselves and we go, well, I'm just so thankful that I'm not like Herod, that I haven't committed the big sin of murder. And I want us to understand this morning that the beheading of John was not the root of Herod's sin. His root sin was pride. And in order to protect his, his pride, he had to commit other sins. He would do anything to protect his pride. So, so maybe your sin isn't murder. I pray that none of your sins are murder. But rather, maybe you have another sin that, that, that just isn't considered lethal by you anymore and it receives just very little attention from you. Like gossip. Like grumbling. Maybe you have sinful thoughts. Maybe it's just discontentment or greed. Understand that in all sin is dangerous and lethal and, and, and we deserve the wrath of God because of it. And as we sit under the preaching of God's Word week by week, let us not negotiate with our sins. That's sometimes what we're tempted to do. We begin to negotiate, well, my sin's not as bad as this person. And let us not do that. 
But, but rather, as, as Paul charges Timothy, let us wage the good warfare, holding faith in a, in a good conscience. By rejecting this, he says, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. And so I ask, brothers and sisters, will we wage the good warfare in our own lives? Will we let Scripture be a mirror to our hearts? And will we cry out, Lord, forgive me if there is any sin in us? See, Herod ignored John's preaching. And and the question for us this morning is, will we ignore the message, John's message as well? Will we ignore his, his cry for repentance? So first we looked at John, and then we considered Herod. And then thirdly, on your outline, let us look at Herodias. And we see the ruthless influence of a hard heart. A weak will and a hard heart often go together. As your, as your will is weakened, your, your heart is hardened. And as your heart is hardened, your will is weakened. And in Mark's account of this story, we get a, a clear picture of Herodias' heart. And in Mark 6, 19, it says that Herodias had a grudge against John and, and wanted to put him to death. But she could not because Herod was protecting or because Herod feared John. See, Herod or Herodias' heart is ruled by the fear of man, just like Herod's, but, but it, it, it displays itself a little bit differently. See, she has, A on your outline, a heart ruled by a bitter root. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. There's a danger with a bitter root in in our lives. Uh, One, we don't know that we have it. And so we, we're, we're bitter and it, this just affects everyone around us. Or two, we, we know we have a bitter root and we just try to suppress it and, and try to justify it by, by saying, sometimes we'll say things like this, well, if so-and-so didn't do this, I wouldn't have acted like this. Or, or if so-and-so didn't say this, I, I wouldn't have been so angry or I wouldn't have sinned we need to understand there's no one that can make us sin there's people who might give us the platform for our sin but no one makes us sin that is our own uh, choice in actions Listen to James 1, 14 through 15. As James says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it, fully, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, this is what's happening inside Herodias' heart. 
She's controlled by a bitter root. And this affects her thoughts and her actions, and it's, it is shaped by her own desires. And so her desire is to kill John. And, and as this desire uh, simmers on the back burner, so to speak, an opportunity comes at Herod's birthday in which sin could finally give full vent. Her bitter root leads to John's execution. And, and this is because instead of repenting to the preaching of the gospel, she be on your outline is repeatedly silencing condemnation. She didn't want to hear what John had to say. Because she loved her sin. So she, so she silenced him. And the first time she silences him, she just puts him in prison. But that didn't work because, because Herod would go down and visit him and he enjoyed his preaching. So she had to hear about her sin over and over again. So, so to silence him for good, she asked for his head. Instead of repenting, she sinned more just to keep her sin. Listen to John three nineteen through 20. It says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Didn't this describe all of us at one time? Before Christ, we, we loved our sins. We were, we were exactly like Herodias. We silenced those who would condemn us of our sins. We needed a new love. And this is what the gospel does in our lives as, as God, uh, by grace, through, through faith in Christ alone, God gives us a new love. He gives us a new heart. And, and sometimes we're still tempted to silence others when others, when others uh, condemn us or, or accuse us of sin. But, but this is no longer should be our regular practice But when we look at Herodias here, that's not what she did. She, she rejected Christ. And she gave full uh, vent to her sin. And this bitter root controlled her. And it caused destruction in, in John's life. He lost his life. Uh, it caused destruction in our family. Her husband, she, who she left. But it also influenced her daughter who we will look at next on your outline, Salome. And she is a willing pawn in a wrong relationships. Her, her name's not mentioned in the, in the text anywhere here, but, but Josephus tells us that her name was Salome. And, and she's probably 12 to 14 years of age. And many in our culture today would say that she's a victim because of her age, therefore that she's not responsible. They would justify her actions. And, and we can see in this text, we can certainly say that she was affected by, by Herod and Herodias' sin. 
But she also shows a willingness to join in the evil. Salome's actions reveal, A, a heart ruled by others. Salome's dance was not a modest dance of a young lady. She used her, her body to manipulate Herod and his friends. And so as Herod is seduced by her, he says, I will give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. And what does Salome do? Does she say, I would like a new chariot? <laughs> no, she, she runs to her mom. So she knows her mom hates John. She says, Mom, Herod did exactly what you said. He's given me anything I want. Now, what do you want me to ask for? Herodias says, I want, I want, I want his head. I want John to die. And, and Salome runs back into Herod and notice this little detail she adds. She says, give me his head and I want it on a platter. There's just a level of sickness and willingness in that statement. It's bad enough if you said, okay, kill John over there. I don't want to see it. No, as a trophy, she parades it around. She's not a victim. She's very willing to join in the evil. And this is because she is B, repeatedly capitulating to culture. Capitulate, capitulating means uh, to give in, to, to yield, or Salome, or, or to, to surrender. And, and Salome does this to her mother's evil. We also see her do this as she capitulates to the heathen practice of Herod, her stepdad. And in her sin, she, she might be tempted to blame others for her poor decisions. But she is fully accountable for them. And, and so I, I want to speak to the, the young people for just a second. This, this applies to all people, but especially to you young people. If you repeatedly capitulate to the culture, if you repeatedly give in or surrender to the culture, the result will be a hardened heart and a weakened will. And it will never lead to righteousness, and we need to understand this. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, and it'll keep you there longer than you want to be there. And so I urge you, I, I pray, don't give in to the culture. Don't give in to what they say is good and normal. Stand firm in the Word of God. Fear God. This is where you need to ground your life. And understand, young people, you will be persecuted for it. There is a cost, but it'll be worth it. 
as you stand in front of the Lord one day and he says, well done. It'll be worth it. And so we began this morning with the central truth. What we believe about Jesus is revealed by how we respond to him and his word. Herod believed that Jesus was John the Baptist. He was a prophet. He was a good man. But he was not the son of God. He heard John preach the gospel week by week, but this doesn't, didn't lead to repentance. Rather, it just led to more and more sin. See, when we ignore God's word in our lives, it, it only causes us sin. You all know this. We must, as James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. And Herod here was just a hearer of the word. When we look at Herodias, she, she tried to hide from Jesus. She didn't want to hear what he had to say. And as her, as her sin is, is brought into the light, by her own unrighteousness, she, she suppresses the truth. And this didn't just affect her. We see the, how it influenced all those around her. And I think we have to ask uh, during, as we look at this text, or at least consider, how are we permanently influencing those in our lives day by day? If y'all remember the story of John the Baptist, if you remember his parents... They spoke life into his life. They spoke the gospel. They feared God. And we see the type of man that John became. We see Herod and Herodias. They, they spoke death to Salome. And we see the kind of life that she led as well. So, so how are we influencing those around us? Those who, who God has put in our, uh, in our midst and then Salome, her life shows that she only believes what her culture tells her. She has no objective standard of truth, of right and wrong. So, so her, her, her uh, life is just shaped by her emotions, her, her feelings, and her experiences. So I ask us, what or, or who is, is shaping what we believe? Is the, is the culture shaping us or is the Word of God shaping us? And then finally, John, he believed in Jesus as Lord. His heart was ruled by the fear of God and his convictions were grounded in the Word of God. And what we see come out of that is righteousness and boldness and courage to stand firm. And so I ask, what is coming out of your heart? Jesus said at the beginning, it'll be either be rivers of life or waves of death. And I pray, I pray for each of you that, that it's, it's rivers of life. And I, and I call us now as, as we're coming to a close to examine your own heart, to, to let the Scriptures examine your heart. Not to be beat down, by the way, by our unrighteousness, 
but so that we'll turn to Jesus. That we would remember that there's more mercy in him than sin in us. So will you turn to him this morning? Will you cry out if there's, if there's any sin in you? Lord, forgive me. And as we sing these final few songs, we're, we're just going to have a time of response. And maybe you have questions that you would like to ask. Maybe it's about this sermon or about uh, the gospel in general. And, and, and there's, there's staff members in here. I don't know them all. I see a few. I see Ben. I see Brent in the back. Uh, would you find the staff here? Would you talk to them? They would love to pray with you and to share with you more of the gospel. And, and by the way, I, I know on these particular, particular two men, they're not perfect. They're, they're sinful men just like you, but they know how to open the book. They know how to point you to the perfect one. So there's nothing special in them except they love the Lord and they would like to sit down with you and open and pray with you on, and answer any questions that you have. So let us pray and then we'll sing these final few songs. Father, we come to you today. We see these four hearts in John and Herod and Herodias and Salome. And Father, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we see a little bit of our hearts in each of them. Sometimes, Lord, we, we have a bitter root in our heart. Sometimes we're uh, controlled by others. Sometimes we ignore our conscience. Lord, would you help us not to do that? Would you reveal to us any sin that we might have would we turn to you this morning? Would we turn to the one who is, who is merciful and who is compassionate and who, who, who says, come to me all you who are weary. Lord, help us to respond rightly. And if there's any of, anybody in here who does, who does not know you, who has not repented of their sins, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would not have their hearts hardened but that, and they would not reject your call, that they would cry out for the first time, Lord, forgive me. And that their lives would be transformed by the renewing of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.